It was just a few nights ago that Sonia and I were at home and we were watching a, a program on TV and the program was entitled Battle of Lights. Uh, maybe you saw it as well. And what took place, it, it highlighted four families. I think one family was from California, one from Nevada, one from New Jersey, and one from Florida. And these four families had decorated their properties in such Christmas decor that you could hardly recognize uh, that it was even a home. I mean, they went all out. It was an extreme makeover. And someone traveled from the East Coast to the West Coast and judged those properties and proclaimed a winner. I also enjoy watching the programs on HGTV from time to time. And and I see these people looking at all different homes and they're wanting to make changes. And I'm thinking, I'd I'd die to live in that house just as it is. And yet you read the the Property Brothers and you uh, design on a dime house hunters, extreme makeover, flipper flop, fixer upper. I mean, there's so many extreme makeovers. And really, the final product really is an amazing thing to see. This morning, I want to talk about extreme makeovers, Christian edition. On December 6th, 1967, in Cape Town, South Africa, the first successful heart transplant took place. A team of doctors under the surgeon Christian Barnard performed that successful surgery on a 53-year-old man by the name of Louis Washkansky. The surgery was a success, but he didn't live too long following that surgery, not because of the heart transplant, but because of pneumonia set in. Three days later, December 6th, 1967, in the United States of America in Brooklyn, New York, an eight-day baby boy received the heart of a two-day baby boy, another successful heart transplant. They They now say that Over 250,000 heart transplants are performed yearly worldwide with an 85% success rate after one year survival rate and a 69% survival rate after five years following the surgery. And so I want to talk about what the Bible has to say about a heart transplant. An extreme makeover of the human heart. What does the Bible have to say or how does it use the term heart? It describes the heart as the center of a thing. The heart is the most important part by which the whole may be represented. 
Of course, the scripture does also use the term heart in the physical sense. That very organ in our chest on which our life depends upon its consistent beating and pumping of blood. And if this physical heart is pierced, the cause will be physical death. In 2 Samuel chapter 18 and verse 14, we read the story of Absalom, the son of David. And Absalom has gone to war with a man by the name of Joab. And before the war starts, David makes it very clear to Joab and his army, make sure that nothing happens to the young man, Absalom. As you continue reading that story in that book of 2 Samuel, we will find that Absalom is is fleeing from Joab's army. And if you remember, Absalom had very long, beautiful hair. And as he was riding his animal, he went under a terebinth tree and his hair caught in that tree and his animal continued on and he was left there hanging alive. But some of Joab's men came to him and said, Joab, Absalom hangs under the terebinth tree. Joab, knowing what David, the father of Absalom, had already uh, said, took three javelins and he plunged them into Absalom's heart. And Absalom died. Mainly, the Bible uses the word heart for the center of the spiritual life of man. It's what the Apostle Paul refers to the inner man. It's with this heart that we understand. It's with this heart that we comprehend. It's very important as we open the pages of God's book that we open it and that we read with an open heart, an understanding heart, a ready heart, a willing heart, ready to listen and ready to hear. Matthew 15 and verse 19, Jesus says, For out of the heart... Proceed evil thoughts and murders and adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, and blasphemies. We also know that with the heart, uh, we conceive our purposes. Uh, We conceive our actions. As Galen just shared about our special contribution this morning, the church in Corinth was reminded in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 7, So let each one give. How? as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. In Acts chapter 5, we read about a couple by the name of Ananias and Sapphira. And they had sold some land, which was a good thing. And apparently they had promised to give all they had made from that land back to the Lord. And they lied. They kept a portion for themselves. And in verse 4 of chapter 5 of Acts, it states, Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to man. You've lied to God. And it was that very day that both Ananias and Sapphira died. 
in the heart. We find the source of man's emotions. We find the source of our affections. Jesus also says in Matthew 5 and verse 28, I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Matthew chapter 22 and verse 37, Jesus meets and comes in contact with a lawyer. And this young lawyer asks Jesus, what is the greatest commandment in the law? What was his answer? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. You see, God's main interest in us is our heart. He knows our heart. He knows our thoughts. He knows our motives. The nature and attitudes of the patient who follows that physical heart transplant aren't necessarily changed at all. But a person who listens to the word of God, it affects that heart. It can make it over in a very, very extreme way way. And so I want us to next answer this question, why why a heart transplant? Well, from a physical standpoint, it's a very dangerous and risky medical intervention. And it is only done when the old heart cannot be helped in any other way. I was born with a heart murmur. At the age of five, I was diagnosed with rheumatic fever. I was in kindergarten. Because of that illness, I missed 57 days of kindergarten. And so my parents decided to hold me back. And I went to kindergarten a second time. I'm the only person I know who ever flunked. I have made so many kids feel good through the years who have been held back a class because I've always been able to say, at least you made it through kindergarten. At the, in the eighth grade, I had a relapse. I spent 14 days in the hospital in Sublette, Kansas. In July of 2014, being a member right here at West Irwin Church of Christ, I was put in ETMC, East Texas Medical Center. I was given a new aortic valve, a mechanical valve. And it lasted about two years. But it got infected due to a disease called endocarditis. And that endocarditis ate that mechanical aortic valve apart. And so I was placed back in ETMC in February of 2016. And I was in the hospital, I think, about 10 days. And it was determined then that there was nothing they could do for me there. And so I was taken by ambulance to Baylor Heart Hospital in Plano, Texas, where one of the finest heart surgeons around gave me another aortic valve a cadaver valve, and here I stand, able to speak 
not too great of a way, but able to speak and willing to speak because of modern medicine and modern technology. Not a full heart transplant, but I know what a damaged heart can do. We need to realize that God in his word pronounces a similar diagnosis concerning our spiritual heart. Because of man's heart, the Bible says certain things. In Romans chapter 12 and verse 1, or Romans 1 and verse 21, the human heart and its relationship to God is darkened. It's darkened. And the scripture says, although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. And I want you to know that as human beings, we cannot ignore God without punishment. That's his promise. If we depart from the light, darkness will overshadow us. The word of God also speaks of the heart as being the seat of man's will. Prior to the flood, in the days of Noah, in Genesis 8 and verse 21, it says of mankind, the, imagine of man's, the imagination of man's heart is evil and wicked from his very youth. Jeremiah said about Israel, they followed the counsels and the stubborn promptings of their own evil hearts, and they turned their back and they went in reverse instead of forward. And Jesus himself spoke these words, the evil man out of his inner evil storehouse flings forth evil things. And knowing this, I've come to realize from a spiritual standpoint that a heart transplant is my only hope. It's my only hope. If we could begin to see the human heart as God sees it, then we would better understand why he sees a heart transplant as our only hope. Time and time again throughout the Old Testament, God tried over and over to renew and to restore the nation of Israel. And speaking through his prophet Ezekiel to Israel... Ezekiel said, I will give you a new heart. I will put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give to you a new heart of flesh. And that prediction came true with the coming of Christ. The coming of Christ and his new covenant, the New Testament is living proof of such a heart transplant. Paul writes to the church in Ephesus in chapter 4, verse 22 through 24. Lay aside the old man which is being corrupted with the lusts of deceit and put on the new man which is in the likeness of God which he has created. A spiritual heart transplant is our only hope. And if it's our only hope, then we need to learn how it takes place. How does the heart transplant take place? 
How can I receive that extreme makeover that took the old man and made him new? God appointed Jesus, his only begotten son, because Jesus alone possesses the necessary wisdom, the necessary skill, and most important of all, the indispensable blood without which the heart transplant could occur. The reason I had to have two aortic valves replaced is because my valve was not working properly and it was just causing blood to backsplash. It wasn't allowing it to pump through my heart. In a spiritual sense, we need, we must have the blood of Jesus Christ. It's our only hope. It's our living hope. It keeps us spiritually alive. And Jesus knows how to use the scalpel. He is the greatest physician of all. I am grateful for the two surgeons that provided me new valves for my heart. I am most grateful. For Jesus Christ, my Savior, who gave me a new, a new heart. He knows how to use the scalpel. It's his word. His word. Hebrews 4.12. The word of God is living and powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The Word of God can change me. The Word of God can change you. On Pentecost, in Acts chapter 2, as Peter and the other apostles were preaching that first recorded sermon, and that multitude of people that gathered that day, who heard them speak, It says they were cut to their heart by what they heard. They realized they had crucified the Lord. They had nailed him to the cross. And they were cut to their heart. You see, the word of God pierces people. And because it pierced their hearts, they asked Peter and the others, Men and brethren, what must we do? Peter said, repent and be baptized for the remission of your sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Those people heard the gospel. They heard the gospel and it cut their heart. And they did repent. And they were baptized. And their sins were forgiven. And in verse 47 of that same chapter we find that the Lord added them to the church, his body. Well, I want you to know this morning the gospel can still change a man's heart. Through the gospel, Christ exchanges our old darkened heart for a new enlightened heart. Ephesians 5.14 says, Awake you who sleeps, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. 
Christ will give us light. When someone sees the light, he's able to grasp something that he was not able to see before. I need to step behind the pulpit for a minute because I have an illustration I want to end with. I have here a pumpkin. Not a real one. It's not the right season. But this plastic one will have to work. This pumpkin. This heart. The heart of a real pumpkin is filled with seeds. It's filled with seeds. And it is around Halloween each year that many, many families will go and purchase a pumpkin. And they'll cut it open and they will take the heart of that pumpkin out. And they will cast aside the seeds. And then they will carve a face. And then they will place a light inside. And that light will shine. And it gives it a total makeover appearance. Totally different. Well, the one who truly wants to serve God takes the old heart and the seeds that corrupt it. Seeds like pride and envy and jealousy and hate and immodesty and lying and stealing and prejudice and on and on and on it goes. One final thing about this pumpkin I forgot to mention. Not only does it become, have a different look, it's given a different name. It's no longer Mr. Pumpkin. It becomes Mr. Jack. Mr. Jack. Well, when we rid ourselves of the seed of anger and prejudice as the list goes on, and we hear and we listen to the gospel of Christ, and our heart is pricked, it's cut to the very core, and we repent, and we're baptized into Christ, and Jesus takes the throne of our heart who happens to be the light of life, And he sits on that throne and God gives me and has given me and you a new name. The name Christian. Because we live lives now that have a Christ-likeness about us. We rid ourselves of those old seeds of doubt. I love what Paul says in Galatians 2 and verse 20. I've been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Peter writes in 1 Peter 3 that baptism is an appeal to God for a good conscience. It is through obedience to the gospel at baptism that our heart is transplanted to those who have already been baptized, to those who wear the name Christian, it's very important that we take this word of caution. I'd like to read to you from Colossians chapter 3. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above 
where Christ is sitting in the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Therefore, put to death, those are these seeds you've got to get rid of, Put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, covetousness. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. But now you yourselves are put off. You have put off all these. Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. One of my favorite songs is a song entitled, Do You Know My Jesus? Do you know my Jesus? I love the second verse. And it's very appropriate with today's message. Where's your heart, O pilgrim? What does your light reveal? Who hears your call for comfort when naught but sorrow you feel? Do you know my Jesus? Do you know, my friend, have you heard he loves you and that he will abide to the end? Where is your heart, O pilgrim? What does your light reveal? Do you know my Jesus? If not, you can And so I would ask that if you have a need this morning, that you would come as together we stand and as we pray.